It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Today's guest is Gary Cliff, one of the survivors of child sexual abuse at the hands of former football coach and paedophilic serial offender Barry Bunnell. Bunnell terrorized children in the late 80s and 90s while working with the kids coming through the youth academies of football teams Manchester City, Crew Alexandra and later Stoke City. Despite suspicions and complaints made about Bunnell, he was allowed to continue in his depravity, even staying at the homes of unsuspecting children's families. His actions quickly turned what should have been a dream for young kids looking to become footballers into a nightmare. Countless lives, careers and families have been torn apart by Bunnell. One former player who made it as a professional, Andy Woodward, talked of having to fake injuries during games to hide his panic attacks. Other famous players, such as David White and Paul Stewart, also came forward and talked of how Bunnell's actions tore them apart. Four players, coached by Bunnell, have gone on to take their own lives, including famous Welsh captain and manager Gary Speed. An inquest found no evidence that he had been abused, so we can only speculate. Despite Bunnell first being active decades ago, and even being arrested for abusing a child in the States, it wasn't until his trial in 2018 that the shocking extent of his crimes became clear as more and more former academy boys came forward. The amount eventually totaled more than 800 people. He is serving a 34-year prison sentence and will most likely die there. Gary Cliff, on the show today, has also had his life permanently altered by Bunnell. We'll talk about his decision not to have children as he doesn't want to bring anyone into this world. At the same time, Gary has gone on to have a successful career in the police and is currently working as a detective in safeguarding and protection for children. His work is vital in preventing abuse and I have the utmost respect for him, not just for the work he does, but also for coming forward and speaking out. Football has always been a notoriously punishing environment for people who want to speak out about sensitive issues, so it can't have been easy. For those unacquainted with football, or soccer in the States, don't worry, we don't chat about it much. We could just as easily be talking about a school, a religious club, or any organisation where this kind of thing might happen. When we mention Man City, or just City, we're talking about Manchester City Football Club. Crew are Crew Alexandra, the second team that Bernal coached children at. Each football club has what we call an academy, where children as young as 11 start training and playing and are developed by top coaches in the hope of breaking into the senior team by the time they are between 17 and 22. Follow Gary on at GaryCliff1 on Twitter. I'm on AndrewGold underscore OK on Twitter and Instagram. We have a really nice 10 to 15 minute bonus chat at the end 
To end on a bit of a more positive note, so do get hold of that on patreon.com slash andrewgold or download the Patreon app. I'll be back at the end, but here's my interview with Gary Cliff. Tell me, Gary, let's, before delving into, you know, quite deep territory, uh, I want to hear a, a bit about, you know, how was your childhood and, and everything, you know, growing up? At, I presume you were a big football fan, obviously. Yeah, so um, growing up, football family, mad, mad Man United fans, all, all the family, brother, dad, etc. played football from an early age, kicking the ball about. Uh, very happy, very happy up until... Um, about the age of 12, 11, when I obviously met Benno. Um, so I was very happy up until then. And then um, that's all I wanted to do was play football. And I fortunately got scouted playing for the local town team in Crewe. Got taken to City, uh, which is, you know, even though I was a United fan, you can't, you can't choose who you pick you up, can you? you know? a, lot, a lot of my mates were like, I thought you were a United fan. Well, yeah, I am. Were you excited? Yeah, oh god, yeah, it was, it was great. It was amazing because you, you know, you, it was a big club then. It's not as big as it is now, of course, but it was first division club, and uh, you, you felt as though you were on your way, you know. Uh, and then very quickly, it's my childhood turned into just horrible, horrible. Very, lots of regrets and hated it. Really, look back on it uh, with. A lot of regrets and uh, hurt, really. It's the education suffered because uh, all I wanted to do was play football and virtually live with the bloke for four and a half years. Um, wagging school on Mondays, a lot of time. Um, it was just nobody questioned questioned it back then, you know. So um, since then, it's been quite a traumatic. Uh, time really which it, I buried it for a long time until he eventually got locked up in America in the 90s and it all started to come out then absolutely absolutely it's a different yeah. time as well now isn't it? I think people are more able to speak was it eight, late 80s you started playing yeah I mean it's early to mid 80s because I, I was born 1970 so it was about 81 82 I started playing so it was very different times there was no safeguarding in place then there was no academy structure it was all done on a nod and a wink really even at professional clubs it's so gutting because this should have been the most exciting few even if you didn't go on to be a professional footballer or did or whatever it should have been the most exciting few years of your life apart from it being city of course instead of united what what position were you were, were you good did you have a chance of going pro i'm just because i want to know if yeah it, yeah did this sort of affect that yeah totally i was i started off as a left winger because i was quite nippy and fast and skillful and then when I went to City, um, they identified something in me as a left back because I was naturally left footed. There's not not many left footed players, as you probably know. Most most people are right footed, but I was left footed, so I slotted into that left back slot and took to it amazingly well. And I was good enough to get signed on. In, in them days, it was uh, what they called associate schoolboy forms. So at the age of fourteen, you were. Um, signed by the club and tied to that club until 16. Uh, having already been there since the age of 11. Um, so I was, I was good enough uh, to, to get that. It was a very, very proud moment. Went to the club, uh, Chief Scout, Ken Barnes, Tony Buck. Uh, parents were there and another boy was there that got signed on. It was after a game at City at Main Road. 
and you know taking it to the boardroom so it's really absolutely wonderful you know you're thinking you're on your way Benel was there as well and we've got a picture of it but my mum cut him off cut him off. you know we've used it in various documentaries media stuff and fortunately he was he was stood at the end so my mother was able she thought she was doing right by cutting it off and so I couldn't see him uh so I was there he then moved to crew when I was probably 14 uh, because he was sort of close to where I lived I sort of couldn't get away from him even then so he used to come and stay because he was he was then at crew and the, and the parents were taking him my mother worked for him yeah, he, he opened a shop on uh, Gresty Road opposite the club. Uh, he had video shops and was selling sports gear at the back of his boot and all over the show. What's what's his background? What's what's Benno's background? Because did he play? He's yeah, well. The story was that he, I mean, he's not, he was at Chelsea. He was at Chelsea as a kid. That's fact. Uh, and, and checks out. And the story was that he got injured, um, various injuries, and couldn't make it as a pro. But he was that good a footballer that he came. He's a Manchester lad. He came back to Manchester and started coaching and running teams. And it went from there. But it was, I mean, sort of pains me to say it, but it was the best footballer in terms of, you know, keeping up his. And it was like a performing seal. You know, what he could do with the ball, what he could do, you know, just spellbinding. I heard people called him Bene, like like Pele. Yeah, Benny. Benny with the... The thing over the e accent, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That was his nick. That was his. Uh, he liked to be called that, Benny. Yeah. So um, yeah. it was. It was, it was such a vivacious sort of character that you'd want to be around, and um, he'd got all the gear, the flash cars, and the, the treats. We didn't know at the time, but it was all grooming, of course, wasn't it? So, um, but no, nobody was challenging it. Even the officials at the club. All the parents adored him. Oh man! So uh, it was it was easy for him, really. For those who don't know, I think most people in the UK, or at least football fans in the UK, are very aware of what happened. Um, was, I don't know; they don't always know Benel's name. I think, but everyone knows that there was a Crew Alexandra, as a football club in England, that that, uh, and obviously City, Man City, uh, that there was a big thing that came out a couple of years ago. Would you be able to sort of summarise the whole the whole thing, just for those listeners who aren't aware of it, please? Yeah, in in, in, a, in a very quick nutshell, um, he was the scout coach for Manchester City junior teams. Um, and he was there for seven years. He was there be- before I got there. And um, in about probably 1985, he got approached by Crew Alexandra. Dario Grady came up from London and was starting the academy structure and it's been highly successful and kind of the en- envy of the football world really the uh, production line at crew for such a small club and Benel was a massive part of that so he he went to crew he got moved on from city uh, eventually he got moved on from crew which the reasons have been sad but i don't particularly believe them um and then he went to stoke city sort of junior team called Stone Dominoes. He took a team to America and he was staying in American uh, houses with parents and it was an American mother who raised concerns, challenged uh, a British boy that was staying in her her care and to why Ben was always in his room 
Uh, he got arrested in America and it went from there. He got convicted in America um, and the police investigation over here started in the 90s because it was so, it became apparent it was so prolific and the numbers involved, the lads were massive. And the police came to me, uh, knocked on my door. Uh, I didn't make a complaint. I told them everything. But I didn't have the strength at that time. I was a young boy. I was in my 20s. Didn't really have the strength to make a formal complaint. But I was chuffed that they came to see me. And I was kind of offload, you know. Uh, Deborah Davis made the documentary, the Dispatches documentary, which was uh, is absolutely phenomenal uh, document of abuse. She did this 25 years ago. And it kind of went under the radar. And wow. um, no one was interested. Uh, then... When he served his time in America, he got picked up uh, by the British police uh, and charged with, I think, six lads. Offences against, went jail again over here, came out. And then I think it was David Lean uh, made a complaint hmm. uh, in about 2013. He went to jail for him, came out. Um, I, I then picked the phone up in 2015 and made the complaint <laughs> and I was on my own. And then 12 months later, Andy Woodwards and Stevie Walters and others went on Victoria Derby show and it went mass, it went bang. It went bang after that. And then I, I had to wait for the police to get 12 lads together, uh, of which I was the first one and, and they got 12 together and we had a trial hmm. and it's the first time he opted for trial he didn't give evidence he was in his cell in wherever it was and didn't didn't come to the court at all didn't opt to give evidence and of course we got we got found guilty of course of fit, over 50 odd counts against 12 lads and goes to jail <laughs> and then last year two more lads make complaints and he gets convicted for them so he's, he's five times convicted if you like and mm. uh, he'd, he'd probably spend the rest of his days in prison because he's you know he's getting on now and quite frail i suppose but um the sad thing is andrew is there's there's over 100 boys still waiting for their day in court and they've been told thanks but no thanks the cps I've said that's it now. It, it was not. It won't be in the public interest to run any more cases, which to yeah. me is a bit of not not very good at all. Mm. You know, but you know, I always say if Andrew Gold's coming forward now, mm. you need you want to lay a glove on him, don't you? Be heard and be recognised and get convictions in your name. That opportunity's gone for those poor lads that have took their strength to. Yeah, they, they the strength for them to come forward and to be told thanks, yeah. but no thanks, it's just not acceptable. But you know what? You did a massive service for those people by coming forward earlier. You know, they as as sad as it is that they can't go to court now and get that off their chest, they must be relieved as hell that that he's gone to prison, that he's actually having to pay for. It. I mean, that that counts for something, right? Yeah, um, I, I'm in the police, as you probably know, and speak to. I'd speak to numerous lads through the offside trust and the work that I'm doing and that everyone's different. Some of them just want to be heard. They don't want to go through a trial, police process. Others do. Um, others just happy to share. 
uh, because they've got families and young children and they're not ready yet. And a lot of lads, loads of lads say, I, I can't do it to be parents. I can't speak up while my parents are still here. I've got to wait till they die yeah. before speaking up. There's a hell of a lot of people say that. Um, but the, yeah, the I get immense satisfaction and pride really when lads come forward and say, thank you for speaking up. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it helps. I mean, but only this week, the guy on the SAS program, hmm. the SAS, um, forget what it's called, it's on Channel 4, but... All I can think of is Ross Kemp, it's not him, is it? Uh, no, no, it's <laughs> um, it's civilians that uh, go through the training process and it's filmed, oh, wow. and Ant Middleton's uh, one oh, of the yeah. trainers. And the guy disclosed on there his abuse by Bennell. And... Um, yeah, it was all recorded, and he, he's we. I've been in contact. We've reached out to each other, and he he sort of said it's because of what we did, speaking up that he he was empowered mm. to speak up and um, told the world basically on on TV last week. The only thing comparable that I can think of is Jimmy Savile in terms of numbers, and in the states of like I don't even know Bill Cosby. I'm trying to think, but maybe maybe Cosby there's a different kind of thing because it was adults I think Cosby was doing but yeah. do you think there are other people like him around yeah I truly believe that people are born with that in their DNA that want to have sex with children hmm. paedophilia um, sure. they, they cannot turn that off they cannot turn it and they will gravitate to arenas where children are but you'd still have to be a bit of a psychopath, wouldn't you? Because I imagine that a, a, a large part of those people born with that would just go, but that's an awful thing to do. I'm not going to do it, even if I want to. Whereas he sounds like he must have been a bit of a psychopath. Yeah, you, you, what you get is uh, what you call contact contact and non-contact offences. So you, your non-contact is your, your online stuff, your video sharing, your photo sharing of abuse. Mm of which it's massive and it's global and, and the, on the dark web web sharing. The contact offences obviously are those that cannot turn that urge off and have to have that contact uh, and physicality with a child. And mm. they will see most of this is within the home. 99% of this happens with family members or trusted people. Like Benel was a trusted person but um it's predominantly within the family unit and that's why people can get away with it for so long hey it's andrew if you're enjoying heretics there's another podcast i want to recommend to you especially if climate change global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster what could go right is hosted by progress network founder zachary carabel and executive director emma varvalukas on What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist 
Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Could you tell me about your first impressions of Ben Else? You're 11 years old, you're turning up excited to play football and you, you meet him. Yeah, um, he was like, he's like the Pied Piper. Um, he got a, a nice car, the, you know, the gear, all the gear, the Lacoste gear, the Tashini, the um feeler stuff you know all that and they could play football it was so impressive what he could do with the ball and he was at a professional club so the power the power that he wielded of kind of make or break your football career you wanted to be around him and there was always a load of lads around him and it'd take them back you know there'd be several boys in the house most most weekends and you were kind of vying for his attention. He he'd got he was that clever that he could like almost that you wanted to be the one sat in the front seat. Yeah. Be that boy that he, he wanted to give gifts to. So he, he was he, it was perfect for him because everyone was vying for his attention, you know. Um but very charismatic. Very charismatic bloke. And then what, what went on after, what started to go on? He started to stay at your family house, is that right? Yeah. Um, so Is that typical? No. <laughs> no. It, that, oh. This is the sort of arrogance of the man, the God, confidence, the confidence. Now, he, didn't, he knew I wouldn't say nothing. 
he never ever had to threaten me to keep my mouth shut because he knew he could he identified in me a vulnerability that uh, he knew I wouldn't say nothing. So when he went to crew, um, it, we lived near crew, and my parents used to invite him to stay over and feed him and have tea with us, and then he'd stay the night and he'd be in my room, which was next to my parents' room, and it'd be abuse. The abuse would happen in the room mm. next, right next to my parents, which is obviously horrific. Are you able to talk me through what he was getting up to? Or is it too? Is that too much for you? No, I've said it. I've said it numerous times. So uh, it would be touching. It would be mutual masturbation, and there'd be a lot of oral abuse him mm. on me, me on him, which is rape. It, it The Sexual Offences Act changed in 2003 to make um, oral abuse, penis into mouth, rape. It, it wasn't in my day, yeah. but it, it's rape. Um, and that happens hundreds and hundreds of times. I, I can't obviously put a figure on it because that was four, probably four, four and a half years. Um, I'm so sorry you went through that. No, no one should have to go through that. I'm honest. I'm really sorry that you went through that, and and to all the other boys as well. It's horrific. Yeah, it, it was horrific. You don't. You didn't really know what's going on at the time, to be honest, because you'd never had experience, sexual experiences. Mm. But you sort of knew it was wrong. But nobody said nothing. You know, there'd be yeah. the lad either side of him in the bed, and we never said nothing because we didn't have the vocabulary or words to express did it feel like you had done something wrong yeah you, you kind of feel complicit um yeah. once you've once you've let, you think you've let it happen to yourself hmm. uh by not fighting it fighting or calling it out so once you've done it once twice three times you sort of go with it and you're not good you're silenced you're sort of silenced because he he held your dreams in his hand sort of thing you didn't want to be cast off and if if you rocked the boat you were gone because i did yeah. see it in other lads that perhaps were a bit more abrupt where he tested them out and they didn't get a response they were gone from the club you know yeah yeah it's crazy it just feels so crazy that he got away with it on such a large scale i suppose that the attitudes of the time as well might have played a, a, a part in that do, do you think like the fact that it wasn't taken so seriously i think there were some complaints made to man city weren't there yeah i've seen lots of evidence now uh from people having suspicions um that what what you get is rumor and suspicion because the lads if somebody come to come to me and said what's going on i wouldn't have said anything and no, none of the lads would have said anything. So what you're relying on adults, really, to flag it up. You're relying on adults to take those suspicions and raise them with the authorities. But because they, they, they don't see it, it's a big call and it goes on and on and not unchallenged. But there's, been, there's written books, the documentary by Deborah, they were very candid and open. They, they interviewed Ken Barnes and officials at City, and they basically said 
we sort of had suspicions, but he was producing the goods. So we didn't challenge. Uh, that's fact. You know, so she's got that on film. And, and crew, the crew chairman called City and said, look, we've got Ben all turned up. But what we've heard is a bit dodgy. What can you tell us? And the, and the City said, well, we've, we've, we've got no evidence. We've heard stuff ourselves, but there's no evidence. So it carried on. Bloody hell. It's a little bit, it reminds me a little bit of certain like religious uh, figures. I'm thinking of priests who, who get, certain priests, of course, not all, but the ones who get sort of moved from church to church and nobody, yeah. and everyone's like, oh, I've heard a few things. And, you know, it just because it looks bad on, on the church or it looks bad in this case on the football club. Yeah. What, what you get in this stuff, in re- what I call regulated activities, which is the church, the scouts, football, uh, boarding schools, where you've got reputations and money and people uh, paying fees, you will get people moving, officials moving the problem on. Yeah. You get, that's what I've, I, because I get sent this stuff every day because I'm a bit interested in it. And uh, which is why we're calling for mandatory reporting of suspected or known abuse. Right. Because a lot of people in this country will not know and be staggered that we don't have mandatory reporting of suspicions in this country. Mm. Uh, what what we have is a should report rather than a must. So somebody at a school might be uh, abusing the children and there's a suspicion. You would like it so that that suspicion is, is reported to police? Yes, yes. The, what, what you get is um, because there's no evidence and no... Uh, the child won't speak. They, they just move on because it's too uh, difficult. But what mandatory reporting gives safeguards everybody that that so-called whistleblower will have to disclose to police, social services, multi-agency safeguarding hubs their suspicions and it gets investigated by the police they have to go and visit and investigate it and that i'm convinced that would save that would save some people not everyone uh there will be those that slip through the net of course but that's what we're lacking in this country at the minute um because you know 10 15 years down the line if i come forward i said well i told andrew gold 15 years ago and he did nothing, that focuses the mind of Andrew Gold to flag it up. I'm not talking about jailing, jailing people, but you need, look to me, you need law to focus the mind. We don't have that at the minute. You, you use the word, the word uh, focus the mind, and I wonder if it's a, a sad indictment of humanity that we need to be potentially guilty ourselves to, to actually do something about it you would you'd like to think that humans who see the suspicion would do something because they want to stop what's going on rather than because they're worried about their own back yeah unfortunately um the, all the evidence is that i've seen is that doesn't happen on the whole you've only got to look at the, the vast amount of abuse that gets report, reported like you've said in the church uh, in every arena every arena where there are children sporting arenas there will be a wrong 
mm-hmm. trying to uh, manipulate. Um, so to me, you need power power of law to uh, force people. Really, it's like COVID. I mean, COVID. They had to they had to introduce laws laws for COVID, didn't they? Because no one gave a toss initially about yeah. it, and, they had to, and then they had to roll out some laws for fines and things like that to focus the mind to stop. It's when you first sort of mentioned the idea of of mandatory reporting in that sense, my my instinctive reaction was like, oh, I don't know about that because I'm talking about two minutes ago because I thought, oh, it feels like you know uh, thought control or, and how can you prove who knows what? And if you do have a suspicion and you call someone uh, and then you were wrong, you could ruin someone's life. But I think in the last two minutes, I've sort of reconsidered that, and it actually sounds like it would help a great deal actually in in that situation. Yeah, I I go to I work in child protection and I go to suspicions every day and yeah, it's not pleasant for those people that wrongly accused, if you like. But does that happen? Um, yeah, yeah, not not through maliciousness, just through probably miscommunication of the child and miscommunication of the reporter. That it goes to the the, the mash. Most forces have the multi-agency safeguarding hubs now, and it goes through. And we go out, joint visits, police and social services to children, and have a look. And I've got to say, ninety-nine percent of the time, it's fine, and there's nothing criminal. There might be safeguarding issues around cleanliness and ill treatment, neglect type issues, uh, but at least we can say we've had a look. Under, under that stone um, so you'd be surprised that we don't have a massive fallout from people hating on us that have been there's no case to answer so to speak yeah I suppose you you visit them with a bit of discretion as well yeah yeah it's, yeah of course so what so explain what you are because are you a detective in child sexual abuse is that right um not not solely abuse it's all forms of ill-treatment, abuse, assaults, lots of children on children. Um, hmm. Sexual stuff happens within the home or oh, right. not in the home, in school and friends. Um, so it's a whole array of potential criminal uh, activities. And a lot, a lot of the time, like I say, it'll fall to social services. You've got the mandatory uh, powers, really, to... That their threshold is uh, bounce probabilities, whereas police is beyond all reasonable doubt. Um, so to get a, a threshold of a criminal case is ma- quite massive. You know, you'd have to have strong evidence of wrongdoing. Uh, but as soon as the social services get involved, we're involved with that family and have to work with the family to sort out whatever it is. Um, so, you know, it's the whole array of sexual abuse through to assaults. Children going into school with marks, and so every school now has safeguarding officers, and they they at state school level this is, and it's that's important to note. State school level, we're almost at mandatory reporting. Where okay. it falls down is fee paying. Right, schools and reputations. You with me? Yeah, the private schools where you've got reputations and fees, it kind of falls down. The the arena I'm mostly in state schools where reputations don't mean as much it gets reported and we go daily every police force up and down the country will go 
with social services to reports of suspected or known incidents. Um, so that's how it works. We we will interview the child if needs be on video. Uh, with um, we've got you know there's a lot of help of intermediate what we call intermediaries that the professionals in speaking with children and ask telling us what questions to ask. You will interview the suspect under caution or arrest and investigate. And if the evidence is there, it's there. If it isn't, it's how it is. Because I was at a private school and we had a teacher who got um, arrested uh, for making indecent images, I think it was in the end, but he wasn't arrested until he was like two schools down the line. So I, I, I see what you mean that maybe I'm sure some some other teachers must have had an inkling. I don't know exactly what he was doing, but so that's a really interesting point you made that I guess a lot of the private schools don't have that mandatory reporting as much as the state schools. No, I, I always say, um, for example, most of my referrals come through state schools. I can count on, I've, I've never been to a fee-paying school or a boarding school because, I mean, I might be wrong, of course, but to me, it's because reputations. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps Trump flagging up bad news. Yeah, yeah, we we know anecdotally um, just boarding schools. I mean, everybody knows that. And I've never, I didn't go to one, but I've got, I know people who went to them, and that's just, it's just rife there. And I guess it yeah. must get pushed under the carpet in the same way as what you were saying about the football clubs and all of that. It's the reputation. It must be that. Yeah, um, I'm confident now at elite football level that it it wouldn't. I, I am because it'd be a massive scandal and the press and media would be all over it. Mm. And uh, it's so safeguarding now, but it's pushed it down to grassroots to those people where they can oh. get away with it at grassroots. So like Sunday league sort of thing. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the coach that, you know, he's a one man band. He's the trainer, he's the physio, he's the coach. He yeah. picks the kids up. But what you've got to do in, in, in safeguarding is take away opportunity take away the opportunity no overnight stays no kids on the, alone in the vehicles um in the dressing rooms that that take away the opportunity you're almost there you know and certainly elite level i've seen enough evidence through working with city and crew that it's so safeguarded now mm-hmm. and it's moved on loads yeah. But, Sometimes um, it can be it can be sad because this sort of because of that suspicion it does mean you have to be extra careful and it can take away some of the joy in life and it's a shame because of that one percent of people and on the other hand I mean there's just there's never any need for a coach to be staying the night at the families of the kids it's just what that's just not needed that doesn't enhance the enjoyment that, of anybody yeah and it, and that's what happened with me and all the other thousands of other lads with Banner and all the other coaches oh. if you've seen the it's, it's, you know, there's no. You look back at it now, and you're thinking, "What? Like exactly what you said? Why the hell do you need to stay?" <laughs> but it was that. It was that parental pride comes into it. He's yeah. going to make your kid a star. You need to go because he's going to get coach you, but you know, extra coaching and get his ethics and get in with him and all that. You put. You kind of pushed. You pushed. Uh, it, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen as much at elite level. Probably it doesn't now, but certainly at 
grassroots it will be. I'm reminded of a story I read, and it is a bit unrelated, but it's related as well, of uh, Pochettino, who, for those who don't know, he's a football manager who used to be a player for Argentina. Uh, He got woken up, I think it was, but I think it was uh, manager Marcelo Bielsa went out to the village where Pochettino's family lived in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, hours from anywhere, at four in the morning, and Bielsa went and sort of half woke him up and looked at his legs and said, uh, yeah, he looks like a player or something like that. Now, the difference here is obviously that he's probably, he's driving hours and hours and hours, and Bielsa is a nutter. But for those listening from like America, for example, I mean, the distances are not very large in England. I mean, if he's in crew, it's probably, what is it, a 10-minute journey home to his house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, there's no need for staying, was there, at all. So um... No coach has said anything, no one else. No, no, there was enough suspicions. Um, I know a, a director at crew raised suspicions mm. and it was just dismissed because, again, there was no hard evidence. How does, how does um, that kind of abuse as a child, how does it affect the child for the rest of their life and, and yourself as well? How has it affected you? Uh, it's to- totally shaped me growing up. Uh, a lot of anxiety, um, shame, embarrassment, uh, hard to mix with groups of lads, the dressing room culture, shied away from football in my 20s uh, because of that dressing room culture mm. and banter. Um, been on medication for many years, 30 years, counselling. Not a lot of shame to say it because it's it's needed it's you know it's a little crutch to get me out of the door basically yeah. the um medication and counseling and to, you know it's a bit of a cliche but it is good to talk and get it off your chest because you can't carry that ton of bricks around mm-hmm. if you it's not it's not right it's not good and you did for some time yeah yeah i did for you know till my 20s until i offloaded but even then i didn't fully offload until uh, broke my anonymity after the trial in 2018. Um, but feel feel better for sort of breaking my anonymity and disclosing, especially at work as well. Because, you know, in an office, football, big banter in the office and everyone used to knew where I played and I'd feel myself getting that, that rush of anxiety and embarrassment. So now I'm free of that. Oh, is that really a relief? Does that really feel a lot better? Yeah. Yeah, because whenever football was mentioned, I'd feel myself dying inside and trying to change the topic, conversation, because it's it's like irrational thoughts, totally irrational, stupid thoughts, but you can't turn them off. What kind of thing? You know, do they know? Do they do they know? Do they think? Yeah. yeah. Do do they think? You know, the acts. You you start thinking of the acts of what you went through and whether you. Didn't fight him off, or should have told him to get off, and tell told him where to clear off. Are you complicit in that oh, stuff? Man. And the sh- yeah, and that's that's every time you think of football. And so now, are you able to watch football and and, and enjoy yeah. just just watching football? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, and uh, you, you know, you, you can't help thinking what could have been because uh, you know I was good enough to get signed on, but just had enough when it come to. 16, 17, when decisions are made for taking on as, uh, as a pro, I'd had enough and 
there, even there was another coach there that used to take the mick that knew what was going on, and he he just finished me off. Um, so it's you know if you just start thinking of of all the coaches in the world, you you end up with probably the most prolific paedophile in UK history. Um, so a bit, little bit of bitterness. Uh, you must think of that as well. How you, how your life could have turned out differently and all that. And yeah, love football. You just we all like to be footballers, don't we? And uh, not yeah. many make it, of course. But uh, I had the opportunity, which many didn't have, and to come across him just finished me off. Man, that's so shitty. How are yeah. things now? How if, do you have a family and everything? Yeah, um, I'm married. So got I've got no children because of what happened with I didn't want any um, is that you were af- afraid but, that they that something might happen to them um you know um yeah it was a sense sort of sense of what a shitty world it, we, we were in you know oh, and yeah didn't want didn't want to raise a child and really get close to one so and it's yeah. again it's all stupid and irrational but I mean, I'm 50 now, so that's that's gone. But you know, mm. you do need strong family and friends around you for support. You do. Yeah, my dad had a kid at 50, 53 or something. Did he? Yeah, <laughs> good on him. But he keeps yeah. trading down sort of younger wives. He's had about 30 wives or something. He's had <laughs> four wives, uh, I think it is. Four, four or five wives. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bit of a stud, is he? <laughs> he is. He is. He's, oh, he's a nutter. He's not actually. He's the. He's the. He's. It's funny. I tell people that he's the calmest. Like he's a very reasonable, nice man. Just sort of happened that way. I don't know. You know. <laughs> he's got must have something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's got. I've got a little sister. She's uh, what is she? Fourteen. <laughs> so you can never say never. But you know, no. It is. It is yeah. that is gutting it because he. He's basically. And I've. I thought this before about when somebody abuses a child. You basically you're killing them. You basically kill them. And I'm not trying to say that you don't have a life because obviously you do, but it's a different life to the one that he killed. You know, he's you kill a kid basically. Yeah, yeah you do. Yeah, it's your brain's still sort of growing, isn't it? At that tender yeah. age, and yeah. your, your thoughts and ethics are shaping, and you go into yourself, and there's a lot of horrible thoughts that you shouldn't have to carry with a kid for mental health yeah. issues. And you can't shake it really, to be honest with you. You know, just I know hundreds of survivors, spoke to hundreds, and we just live with it and get by as best we can, really. Mm. Um, some lads go down the drink and drugs route, you know, easily, easily done. Um, a lot of, lot of mental health and issues. So uh, you, that's why you need strong people around you, really. Yeah, to help yeah. you get through. Did it make it hard to trust, uh, like men? Was that harder as you grew up? Um, I suppose it was really, yeah, because I sort of shied away from large groups, you know, gang gangs of lads. I didn't, I didn't like the gang. You know, the, your lads' holidays, your lads' holidays with several lads. I didn't really like that stuff. I, I, a bit more quiet. I went quiet and uh, into Michelle, I think, and what I just wanted to be alone. Really, mm, mm. to process it all. But your job now, I presume, was influenced by what went on then. Does that help give you closure as well and feel like you're sort of fighting back for, for on behalf of others? 
Um, I, I went into it just because I fancied doing it, really. Not not to any great sort of vision of saving the planet. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was a job. Yeah. It was a job and it's a great, it is a great job and very, very interesting. And I've done, mm. I've done a whole array of roles from uniform, um, major crime, murder team, right, right through now to child and adult protection jobs as a detective. Mm. Uh, a lot of football stuff. You know, I've done, done football matches. Oh, have you? So you were like, you were proper copper on the you know on the what's it bobby on the beat yeah i've done all done all that yeah i've done all that stuff yeah and then oh cool progress through i've done all the uniform stuff and undercover yeah. stuff and surveillance oh. done a, it's a great job it but, sounds um like... now now i'm you know a bit more sedate yeah. a bit more sedate and uh, office more job. investigative yeah more investigative type slower pace which suits me yeah more up here and you know yeah a bit more ad work yeah (laughs) do you find yourself because of your own experience you find yourself getting um you know your emotions getting the best of you when you because presumably you're coming face to face with people just like benel who are doing it to other people kids numerous times yeah weekly come in contact with vile people but no i'm able to keep it in check and stay professional I've, i've never lost it Never, never lost the plot because you, I think you, you, you're too care, you're too bothered about doing a good job. You ought to do yeah. the best job, so you can't be losing it and going off on one. So you've got to gather the evidence so that focuses me. Yeah, yeah. Does it? Do you have those frustrating times where you've sort of got it? You know, this person's done something, but there's not there's not enough evidence for a conviction. Yeah, that's police work, I'm afraid. The yeah. gravity of evidence now that the CPS require is astronomical. You've you've almost got to catch people on CCTV with a signed confession in blood before the CPS will run it. It's, it's you know the yeah. gravity of evidence is massive, and of course IT and phones and technology is a massive part now of every investigation mm-hmm. every, every virtually every investigation now you've got to be seizing people's phones computers and all that takes months to sort out do you do that thing that they do i think in america where oh, i think they probably do it in england as well where, where you set up fake profiles on chat rooms to sort of lure people in or is that a different section um yeah it's a different there are units that do that um, and there's a lot, there's a hell of a lot of um, these paedophile hunter groups, you know, you know, civilians. That uh, there's hundreds of these groups up and down the country, and they do stings, and they they do a lot of that setting up of fake profiles. Uh, and I've got, you know, th- there's some good ones and there's some bad ones in terms of the evidence they produce. But um, I've got to say that I've done a lot of them jobs where. They do the sting and then they call the police and we have to sweep in then and, and tidy it all up, you know, and we take away the offender and um, the, the evidence is generally pretty good, you know, and they're trying to groom or meet meet up contact offences and new, sending pics. There's loads of sending pics, right, inappropriate right. pictures and all that stuff. I've heard police, like chiefs, say 
different things about those groups, the vigilante groups, because sometimes they said, no, you're messing up the everything, don't get involved. And then other times, like you say, they're saying that the, it's quite helpful. So it sounds like you, you're, you're side more on the uh, that they're helpful, the vigilante groups. Yeah, well, it's, it's not illegal. If it was if it was illegal, then yeah, but it isn't. It isn't illegal. Um, so we we have to suck it up basically and take on the evidence that they produce. And like I say, there, there's some rubbish ones. I haven't got a clue how to um, produce evidence. And that, but there are others that produce you a nice package. And they've detained the suspect, and then we swoop in and sort it all out, you know. Mm. So to me, until the until they outlaw it, we've just got to get on with it. I don't know why they would. I suppose it sounds like it's quite helpful. No, they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah because ev- everyone that I've dealt with, they've, they've been convicted. You know, because the, the, there'll be evidence that they're trying to. Because very quickly, these groups they say, "I'm a 13 year old child." They get that in very quickly. They're told to do that. So, if if that the suspect continues, then knowing it's thirteen year old, it's quite good evidence. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's a little bit like uh, you know we were saying before. There's no reason for a coach to be at staying at a family's house. There's no reason for you to be on the internet talking to a thirteen year old child. I just don't see any other reason for that. Yeah. So, so. Um, yeah, you saw you saw Benel, didn't you? After after, so you went and worked. Was it at a leisure centre, swimming pool kind of thing? Yeah, um, after after me football finished, I I got a job at a local uh, leisure centre swimming pool, and he came in with the crew lads um, to, to swim, and uh, he's I saw him and he waved, and it was just a horrible sort of heart sinking moment, really. Oh. Um, I just had to carry on and try and get on with it as I would I didn't even go over with anything to see him I didn't want to yeah. it was too upsetting the arrogance of that guy just like waving yeah yeah he's um, got no shame at all he's well he's a, definitely unique in that respect has the reaction, the positive reaction towards you and the survivors, has that been, was that a surprise? Uh, yeah, I suppose it was. It could have gone, could have gone the other way. We could have been like vilified and sort of um, people saying, well, why didn't you say anything? That's what you were worried about, I suppose, before coming out. Yeah, yeah, but it, it hasn't, uh, the, the, the public, the media, everyone have not had any trolling bad words no, none of the lads have and it's all been positive and they've really got behind it and can see it's genuine yeah. and that this this person I mean the judge said he, he was an abuser on an industrial scale uh, and you know he was evil um, he's right, quite right he summed it up very well I suppose it's the one thing that unites all football fans all people all people of different political religious every every person I think we can all be united over that. That you know, he it is evil. What he did, and he is, seems he is an evil person. What would you, yeah. if you could, would, if you could say something to him now? What is there anything you'd want to say? Do you have that in your mind? Of do, do you envisage shouting at him and going, "You, you bastard!" kind of thing? Um, well, at, at the trial, they they brought him to court for his sentencing, 
and I read out my victim personal statement personally in court at him. And then I walked over, walked right over to the dock where he was and got told off by the judge. <laughs> the judge said, oh, Mr. God. Cliff, you should know better. Get oh. back and everyone. And the, the, the security jumped on me. And I, I didn't go over in an aggressive way or anything like that. Yeah. It was just I wanted the eye contact. And he looked up and we had that eye contact. So he knew I was there. And that was enough for me. And then he, they took him down. The judge said, take him down, you know. Yeah. So I, I, sort, of, I sort of had that. I've, I've got it over on you now. And I've got the power back. So did they say you should know better? Did the judge say that because because you're a policeman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It was, I, I'd walked, because you should just read it and go and sit back down. So I, I read my Victor personal statement and then I wandered over to the dock and everyone was aghast. Uh, it was a pack, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife in there. Oh. It was full of media. The, the place was rammed. They had to open up another court and, and have uh, TV oh. Uh, because there was that many people there to see it, and that, I just went over in front of Duroc basically. And Julie, Julia Quensler, who's the esteemed court artist, captured it. She captured. She did a oh, cool. drawing of it. She yeah. did, and I didn't know this, but they they're not allowed to do it in the court. So she she has to memorise everything. And they do it out outside the court out when it's all done and dusted. They're not allowed to scribble down. Right, I thought they could. I thought there were no photos allowed, but you can draw people. No, she she does it. She she does it from memory, captures that moment, <laughs> and then scribbles it down outside. And she she did the portrait of it, which is she put in the media, and she she does all the big trials. This this lady does Julia Quensler, and it's quite a, quite a picture. Cause it's got me. It can't, she's a brilliant, obviously, artist and captures the facials. And it's got Benel and me sort of fronting each other up. Wow, it's quite a picture. Yeah, is that on Google? Um, yeah, yeah, it should be. It should be on Google. Um, I've, yeah. I've got pictures of it somewhere, but she she was going to give me a print of it. Um, I I called her up and she said, that, "Yeah, I'll send you a print," but it hasn't happened yet. So I might have to chase it up. Yeah, it's yeah. quite a quite thing. A lot, a lot of barristers and stuff use it when when they've had big trials and we've got them in the chambers and things like that. That's a fascinating yeah. job in itself, actually, isn't it? Because again, in the states, I think you can just film stuff and video and take photos and stuff, and it's a particular British quirk of our courts. <laughs> yeah, that... it's, it's very British. Yeah, yeah. When I learned, yeah. uh, I was doing, I did a journalism course uh, when I was twenty-two or so, and it was six month. You know, uh, it's called the NCTJ. It's like the standard journalism course that you take um, in the UK for you to be qualified. Uh, and you learn shorthand. Uh, you know all the little uh, scribbles and stuff, little like little dashes and scribbles and things like that to write because literally just because of that court rule that you can't record in court. Uh, and unless you're going to be a court lawyer, which I never was, it's an absolute waste of time. But you can't get your qualification until you can do that. Strange. A lot of journalists have to start off in the you know in the courts don't they yeah. covering the the look for the local rag yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is good grounding i suppose <sighs> but yeah i think um yeah. i think we've covered that haven't we do you think is that is there stuff i haven't asked you that's typically um, asked you think i don't know 
Uh, no, I think we've covered quite a lot of ground, really. Mm. Yeah, um, there's some quite graphic. I forgot to mention uh, that there was a part when he was getting uh, in trouble in America. He called your family, didn't he, and asked for a character witness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he got arrested, and it, it made the news over here. And because everyone knew I was very close, my family was very close. All the parents started ringing our house and saying it's all wrong and we've got to get him out, we've got to help him. And he called He called from his prison and wanted me to give a character witness statement. And that my mum says, Cut, you've got to do it, guys, you've got to do it. And it, at that point, I, I found the strength from God knows where, and I said, stop, it's all true. It's all true. And he's on, he's on the phone and my mum's on the phone to him she just said just don't ever contact us again and it was quite a moment really yeah that is a moment isn't it to be a fly on the wall seeing you you're sat that you're stood there and how old you're, you're 20 odd yeah i'd been about 23 24 and your mum's on the phone yeah and he's there on the other line and he can hear you presumably going stop mum it's all true yeah it, it's, i said stop 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 you got you can't help him you cannot help him it's all true Oh God! And uh, it, yeah. it all came out then, and she obviously she the parents are absolutely flawed, and still still very flawed by the whole situation as as all the parents were because they didn't know. Presumably, you had to have a bit of a sit down with your mum then. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did, and she was obviously dead supportive and totally believed me. Um, she did. She didn't question it at all. But as soon as I said it was all true, and it all fitted in then, because I stayed there every week. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of lads did give him witness statements. A lot of the, a lot of the lads, even then, could not face telling the truth and gave him statements saying how wonderful he was. A lot of the lads that have been in the trials, and that's the power of the bloke, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, he, he married he married Andy Woodward's sister, Linda. Oh. Andy's. He had got convictions against Bennell from the nineties, right? Sorry. And but he broke, <gasps> he broke his anonymity and spoke on the Victoria Derbyshire show. Andy did, and I think that was a catalyst for a lot of lads coming forward. To be honest, he, he's done a wonderful thing, and mm-hmm. he's uh, he's a good friend of mine. And Bennell yeah. married his sister. Yeah, yeah. Bennell married Woody's uh, sister. Yeah. Yeah, so um, she's a, she's a lovely, amazing, amazing. I've reconnected with Linda. She's an amazing woman, and really gone through the mill. Obviously, of having yeah. married the, him, that specimen. Really, you know. So talk about hiding in plain sight. Yeah, vile. So I feel so sorry for her. Yeah, yeah. I think we got we got everything there. Thank you so much for telling that. Um, I hope it wasn't too difficult or anything, you know. I know you've done it a lot of times as well now. So um but thank you, I appreciate that. Well thanks, Andrew. It's been uh, <sighs> enjoyable because it, it does help genuinely help talking about it. It does because I've lost all that shame and embarrassment now. Yeah. And I, I know it's stupid to have those feelings. So it's thank you for giving me the opportunity, Andrew. Cheers. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I, every I speak for everyone listening when, when I say like we don't want you to have any shame. No, sh- you don't deserve it. You, you know, any of that mm. shit. Oh, thank you, thank you.
Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much to Gary for coming forward and telling his story so courageously and honestly. I'm sure I speak for all of you listening when I wish him the very best and hope that he never feels shame again. Benel is in prison and will likely die there and Gary is doing good for the world in his position in the police. He's a lovely man too and we got chatting a lot in the bonus interview which you can get on patreon.com slash andrewgold or on the Patreon app. I'd also like to thank Madeleine Black, a former guest on this podcast, who had Gary on her show, Unbroken. Do check that out, which is how I got the idea to ask Gary on mine. Next week, I'll be talking to either murderer and armed robber Linda Calvey, I'm still trying to organise that one, or barrister Chris Daw QC, who has fascinating insights about reforming prisons. In the meantime, please continue leaving reviews on Apple and CastBox. They've been a delight to read this week, as most weeks. Thanks for last week's reviews. By the way, I'm always about a week behind the reviews, so if you left one this time, it will be on the next one and so on. But last week, Wit Wisdom in the UK wrote, Fantastic Journalism, 5 stars. Bosonfield, also in the UK, wrote, Superlative. Andrew Gold is as good at being a podcast interviewer as I am at being a furniture finisher. That might sound like me being big-headed, but I'm not. I've been finishing bespoke furniture since Andrew was six. I bet he's got some good furniture. And finally, Remley left a rare cast box review. I don't get that many on that app, so please uh, continue to leave these reviews if you're on Castbox. Remley wrote... Darn, I was hoping Dr. Black would break the myth that computers operate with ones and zeros. They're really a box full of super smart genetically engineered squirrels running a light bright. She's definitely working for Big Squirrel. Seriously though, what an amazing story she lived. That's all for this week. We're just off for a rare three-day holiday in an area of Germany called Hearts. Mountains, hiking and all that stuff a few days away from the computer screen because it's been a bit too much. But by the time you're hearing this, actually, I'm, I'm already back from the holiday. So I was going to say see you next week, but I've lost track of where we all are. But I'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.